maybe it was in a math class or something where you heard this question asked. The question goes like this. Would you rather have me give you a million dollars right now or the sum of a penny doubled for every 30 days? I'll give you a million dollars. I, I can't do it, but I'll give you a million dollars right now or I'll give you a penny and we'll double that penny every day for 30 days. So day two, you get two cents. Day three, you've got four cents. Now, if you know or if you've heard this question, you know which choice to make, right? It's the what? It's the penny, okay? It's the penny. Uh, you pick the penny. Why? Because at the end of 30 days, you have $5,368,709.12 when you double it. Now, if you're familiar with this, what you may have forgotten, though, is the importance of persevering in the doubling process. Let's say you choose the penny. At the end of 25 days, you have $167,772.66. Now, that certainly is a significant amount of money. At least it is for me. I would, I would assume for most of us, $167,000, almost $168,000 is a significant amount of money. But that's nowhere close to a million. Your friend that took the million dollars has been enjoying that for the last 25 days. And after 25 days, you've just got a tenth a little bit more than a tenth of what he has. But it's during those last five days, as you see on the chart, it's during those last five days that that amount increases by 3,240%. That's a pretty good return, ROI, return on your investment. That's a pretty good return on your investment, 3,240%. In the penny example, it doesn't get exciting for a while, does it? After a week, you've got 64 cents. <laughs> you know? After two weeks, what? You've got $81.92. That, that'll get you a tank of gas and a meal at McDonald's, okay? At the end of three weeks, you've got $10,000, which is still a pretty good significant amount, but it's not $1 million. But it's those last five days, those last five times that that money doubles, especially the last three days that are highlighted, is when it gets exciting. When it gets exciting. And the lesson, while, while, while the penny example doesn't, it, it doesn't get exciting for a while, but the lesson of those last five days, and especially those last three days, is this. Perseverance pays. What if you were bad at math? and decided to quit after day 25. Man, i just got five days left. And I don't, I, I've got nowhere close to a million. What after you got, you got $600,000 and you got three days left, and you say, I'm, I'm still $300,000 short. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. What those last five days teach us is the fact that perseverance pays. And this penny example is an excellent illustration of a believer's life. Day after day, we are tempted to question our choices of obedience. I obey, and what does it get me? I obey, and nothing seems to happen. I obey, and the situation gets worse. I obey, and we're still struggling. I obey, and, and my kids are, are still wondering. I obey, and, and, and I'm trying my best, and yet the more I seem to try to do my best in obeying, the, the bigger mess that it's, I seem to make. 
Day after day, we are tempted to question our choices of obedience. And it doesn't get exciting. Because sometimes, most of the time, change doesn't happen very quickly. It just doesn't get exciting. Yet Scripture tells us, in due season, in due season, we reap the benefits of a life of perseverance. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season, you will reap if you don't lose heart. If you don't lose heart. Wishing you had persevered is much worse than persevering through whatever circumstances that assaults you, that assails you. Wishing I would have persevered. Wishing I would have continued is a lot, to me, a lot greater burden to carry than whatever burdens we have to carry during the time that we are persevering. And this morning, I want to encourage you, whether you are at the, I mean, the, the, the finish line, is, it, it, it's above the horizon. You're, you're close to the end of your race on this earth. Or if you may be in my category where you've made the clubhouse turn and you're, and you're on the stretch. Uh, the, the finish line is still a little bit away, but, but you're, on, you're on the back side of it. Or, or you're just beginning. You, you've made that quarter turn and, and, you've, and you've, hit, you've hit so many furlongs and, 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 and you're just now getting to the place where you're getting a, a good steady pace and, and beginning to make progress. That wherever you are in life right now, whatever stage you find yourself in. Our desire this morning is to encourage you. To encourage you by reminding you how we persevere in difficult and trying times. And, 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 and what is the fruit of that perseverance when we continue, as we look at this section, as we review this section of 1 Peter that we've been at for the last couple weeks. As you recall in the opening section, in the first 12 verses, Peter seeks to encourage this, these displaced believers. There are a group of believers, probably Jewish believers, who have, been, who have been forcibly removed from the city of Rome. They've been exiled to the, to the area of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. They've been separated and scattered, so, so they don't have the, the, the fellowship as believers that they used to have. You've got a group of believers here, or a few over here, a few over there, a few over there. They, they've, they've, they've got to start all over economically. They've got to start all over as far as building some relationships. They have to start, start all over in, in making a home and making a life for themselves. And Peter is writing to them to encourage them. And he encourages them by reminding them of their identity. They are the chosen of God. And also, not only are they the chosen of God, but they are foreigners in a culture from which they're, they're, the two, two things. they're in a culture that does not, uh, does not appreciate them. They're in a culture that is fighting against them. But their responsibility to that culture is two things. They're not to withdraw from it. They're not to isolate themselves from the culture. They're not to, to wall themselves and to, and to stay, keep, keep myself as much as I can from, 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 from the world. They're, they're not to isolate themselves. They're not to, to withdraw, but they are to engage, but to engage without assimilating to that culture. And, and that takes the wisdom of God. And that's going to look different. 
a lot of times for a lot of different people. But, but that's, that's the goal that they are have as they relate to their culture. Uh, he also reminds them of their privileged status and their common heritage. And also the promise of perseverance, which is the salvation of their souls. Again, he's not talking about uh, the sense of, of when I die, I go to heaven. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a little bit when we look at these verses. But the second section... The second section that we've been looking at, which begins in chapter 1, verse 13, and, and as we go down to chapter 2 and verse 3, this second section, as we've found over the course of the last several weeks, contains four commands. There are two individual commands. There are two communal, uh, communal commands. Two command, the first two commands are, are for the individual. What we as individuals are to do if we're going to persevere during difficult times, if we're going to persevere throughout our lives... The second two commands are commands that are needed for the community. I cannot persevere as a believer without the community. I need the community of faith in order to be successful in persevering. Uh, It's not just me and Jesus. I need more than me and Jesus. Jesus is certainly enough. But what Jesus uses, He also uses His body, the church. And so if I'm going to persevere, if my when I come to the end of my life, if I'm going to be able to cross the finish line well, I not only have to make some personal choices, but I have to be part of a community that is making choices to minister to one another in a particular way. We found that these commands are aligned with God's character. Not only God's character, but also our new identity as those who have been born again. And that these commands also uh, are going to enable them to persevere despite their circumstances. So what we're going to do this morning is basically just hit the highlights of these four commands to remind us, uh, to remind us uh, of of, uh, what we need and to encourage us to persevere, regardless of what stage of life that you're in. Uh, We all have to persevere. Every one of us here can do something really stupid and not finish well. Every one of us in here can do that. And, and, and to encourage those of you who are just starting on your journey at the, at the, at the beginning of your journey to not to get discouraged, to, 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 to continue and to, and to keep on going. You know, Lisa and I celebrated 40 years of marriage. Is our marriage just peachy keen and honky-dory right now? We've got struggles. We've got issues that we're dealing with. We've got times that, that you know, we you know, kind of you know, would rather snarl at one another than smile at one another. But there have been benefits of persevering for 40 years. You know, there have been benefits of persevering. And sometimes, sometimes that's all you're doing is persevering. Just gritting your teeth and going forward. There's blessings in persevering. Whatever, take whatever category you want to pick. And there's certain blessings and fruit by just persevering. Just persevering. So what are these commands? How are we to persevere? If you recall, the first command is to set our hope. Again, remember, look back there in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And here's the imperative. Here's the command. Set your hope. Set your hope. We found out when we looked at this passage, this section of Scripture, that as believers, the character of our hope is an assurance of a certain future anchored in the historical past of Christ's death and resurrection. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, an historical event 
that took place, and because of who Jesus is, and because of the fact that we have put our faith and trust in Him, then there is a certain future that awaits us. There are certain things that are ours because of the fact that we have our hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that, that is, that is the, the character of our hope. We cannot, if you have a relationship with Christ, this hope is certain. This hope is something that you possess, and that's the idea of the word hope. It's a certain future. It's an assurance of something. And that assurance is not based on wishful thinking. That assurance is not based on having a positive attitude. That assurance is not believing that your best life is now or whenever. That assurance is grounded in the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and exaltation of Jesus Christ. We found that the content of our hope is the future grace that is bestowed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at the text again. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, its future, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a future grace. That's the content of my hope. That if I persevere, if I continue, there is the promise of a future grace, an eschatological grace that is given to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We found what that that was uh, in chapter 1 and verse 4. He talks about it to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 9, again, when he talks about, he says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That this eschatological grace is is the grace that is given to him. It is the rewards for uh, for, for a life of obedience. It's the rewards of living a life of perseverance. And, and, and I'll say this when we get to the end of the message, but I, I, want, I want to say it now, is that perseverance is the experience of a long walk in the same direction, and the longer the consistency, the greater the reward. The longer the consistency, the greater the reward. As we continue to persevere, just like in our example of the penny, the longer you let it double, the greater the reward. And the longer we walk in perseverance in Christ, the greater the reward. The greater the reward. The more likelihood that we're to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The more likelihood we're going to to enjoy, uh, uh, have a greater capacity of enjoying eternity. And so we find in this passage of Scripture, not only the character of our hope, but the context content of it. And, and the text also tells us that we are to fix our focus, the idea of the word fully. Set your hope fully. Fix your focus. Fix your focus on the hope of Christ's future. Part of how we persevere is by obeying this command to fix our focus on the future of Christ's future grace. Not allowing my current circumstances to dictate my obedience and perseverance. Not allowing those current circumstances that, that, that even though it doesn't seem to be working, I continue. I continue. I don't allow 
whether the practicalities of what's taking place or the circumstances that are occurring in my life, I don't allow them to dictate my obedience and my perseverance. Because my hope is not on whether or not it works here. Now, does it work here? Yes, a lot of times it does. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you can do everything the right way, with the right motive, for for the right purpose, and still things don't change. They don't. But our hope is on the future. The future that I'm going to walk in in obedience because when I stand before God well done now good and faithful servant outweighs anything that could happen in this life anything so we fix our focus fully on the hope of Christ's future grace and he tells us how by sober thinking he says therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded we found when we looked at that text it has two ideas preparing your mind prior to and when hard times come. If you wait to think about things until hard times come, you're you're already starting off in the hole. You've got to prepare your mind beforehand. You've got to to build up your your spiritual muscles beforehand, your your spiritual tenacity beforehand as as you... as you glean from other people in their lives, as you read God's Word, as you are encouraged by by the fellowship of of, of believers, as you spend time praying before God, as you spend time listening to whatever you listen to that's that's good, good and sound theologically to help you in your growth. You have to prepare your mind prior to and when hard times come and you think about your life experiences with clarity. With clarity. And how do you think about your life experiences with clarity? By filtering those experiences, experiences through Christ's future grace. That, there, that the reality that I'm experiencing, that there's a future reality, it's more than just this. It's more than just this. And I'm filtering this, that, that God, is, God loves me, God's compassionate, God's caring, and God's not going to allow anything in my life that is not going to help draw me closer to Him, help to, 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 to mold and shape the image of Christ in my life. And that regardless of how painful it is, regardless of how hard it is, I can trust God. I can trust Him. And, and, and there's times I need to trust Him more. And I need God's grace to do that. I can trust Him. Because this is not something that's happening capriciously in my life. It's not purposeless. There's a meaning behind it. There's something that even how Satan wants to destroy me, God can take the bad things that he's not the author of, but God can take the bad things that are happening in my life, all the horrible things, the things that we keep locked up in the dark closet never to see the light of day the pains that we experience that are so hard and so difficult that, that we can't, we, when we try to talk about them, nothing comes, out of our, nothing comes out of our mouth. That even those very things are the things that God can use in our lives to help mold us and transform us into the image of His Son. Can I trust Him? Can I trust Him? We mentioned the fact that hard ethical choices are impossible for those who do not have their minds fixed on the final outcome, just like the penny. 
you haven't heard the illustration before, you would think, well, that's stupid to take the penny. Take the million dollars. But when you realize in 30 days what the final outcome is, that's the smart choice. That's the smart choice. And hard ethical decisions are near impossible for those who do not have their minds fixed on that final outcome. I'll do the hard thing now. I'll do the hard thing now. And even if I don't see things change, I know when I stand before God, He's going to be pleased. And that's why I've been placed on this earth. Secondly, the second command that you remember is this. We're to be holy. Be holy, verse 15. But as He who has called you is holy, here's the command, you also be holy. Be holy, there's the command. We said that a holy person is someone whose life reflects the mannerisms and character of God by means of the Spirit's enablement during difficult and trying circumstances. Holiness is not about how, how, how much in hushed tones I speak. Holiness is not about you know, whether I drink, cuss, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. That certainly, holiness does have an effect on how I live my life. Don't, I'm, not, don't, I'm not discounting that. But holiness is the fact that, that my life and, and, and my choices reflects the mannerism and character of God. You, you can see God in my life, especially during difficult times. God's visible. God is seen. And the command to be holy, not only by God giving us the command, God also in, implied in the command is the provision of the means to be holy. And when we looked at this text, we gave you three reasons why holiness is possible. What God has provided for us. So that, so that our lives, as we make our choices, those choices will end up reflecting the character and mannerism of God. That when I'm reviled, I don't revile again. When I'm despised, I love. I, 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 this Christ is seen in my life. And we said that holiness is possible, first of all, because of the familial connection believers have with God and His character. Like Father, like Son. Remember the message? I think it's Father's Day, when we, or the day after Father's Day. Like Father, like Son. Look at the text again, look at verse 14. He says, as obedient children. We're, we're children, technon. It's, it's a word of tenderness. So, so we're children. Children reflect, you can see the image of the Father in the child. You can see the image of the parents in the child. Uh, so there's that familial connection. Uh, he talked, look at verse 15. He says, but, he, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Uh, we're children, and the one who's called us, the one who's our parent, is holy. Because he's holy, and we're his children, and we bear his image, and we have his image, and have his character, because we are his children. We can be holy. Look at verse 16. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You're my child. You're part of my family. I'm your father. And, and children reflect their parents. The image of the parents are seen in the children. And because we are the image of our father, we can be holy. So, so holiness is possible because of the familial connection that we have. 
Holiness is possible because it's always a choice. I get to choose to be holy. And the choice is, is pretty simple. I, I can, I, I've got one or two things. Look at verse 14 again. As obedient children, do not be conformed by the passions of your former ignorance. That's one choice. Whatever the situation I find myself in, I can decide, am I going to be controlled by my passions? Am I going to allow my emotions, my will, my desires? Am I going to allow them to control? As I make this choice, is that the primary thing that is driving me to choose this? I'm going to get back. I'm going to, I'm going to exact revenge. I'm going to put them in their place. I'm not going to allow them to treat me this way. They, they pull out the knife, I'm going to pull out the gun. They pull out the gun, I'm going to pull out the Uzi. They pull out the Uzi, I'm going to get the bazooka. They pull out the bazooka, I'm going to call in the F-16s. You know, Get the Patriot missiles or whatever. I, the, whatever they do, I'm going to come back at them. I'm going to come back at them. Or am I going to be controlled by obedience to God? But as He who's called you is holy, you also be holy. You also be holy. That's my choices. I I have a choice. Every decision I make, I have a choice. Uh, and, And I can either choose to act like my father and be holy, or I can choose to live according to my passions. So holiness is not something that that is reserved for the super spiritual or or for those who've been to to Bible college or seminary or or, or, or those who were raised in church. Holiness is not something that's reserved for for the few and the proud. Holiness is something that's available to all of us. I'm not talking about weirdness. Just being holy. Just being holy. No matter the circumstance, no matter the difficulty, no matter the trial... Holiness is always possible because holiness is always a choice. It's always a choice. But we also said that that holiness is is possible because it's practical. Again, look at verse 15. He says, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. We went back there and looked at all the... It's it's, it's in the, uh, the, uh, the, the moral code. Uh, of the children of Israel. It deals with all kinds of conduct in that morality code. And holiness is about life. It's about all of life. Holiness is about how I work. Holiness is about how I play. Holiness is about my relationships. I'm to be holy in all my conduct. I don't get an exemption. There's nothing in my life that's exempt from the choice of holiness. Holiness concerns the practicalities and the mundane of life. Holiness is about dealing with your child when they've asked you umpteen times, are we there yet? Okay? Holiness is about dealing with your spouse when they just are irritating the snot out of you. Holiness is about being patient when you just want to unload. You've reached the, the, the limit. And you've had it. And they don't get it. And you're going to give them not just a piece of your mind, you're going to give them the whole thing. Holiness is about those kinds of situations. It's showing the character of God whenever, wherever, and with whomever the moments of life occur. When you get the irritating text 
and they cut you off on 635. When you're treated unfairly at work. When you're misunderstood at home. Holiness deals with all manner of my conduct. So be holy. Be holy. So as, as I'm seeking to persevere, I, I, I'm, I'm setting my hope on, on the future grace. I, I'm asking God for the grace and strength to help me to be holy in all my conduct. To make the choice that best reflects the character of God. That's holiness. To make the choice that best reflects the character of God. God, give me the grace to do that. Give me the enablement to do that. But perseverance is next to impossible in isolation. We need the covenant community. And thus the next two commands are communal commands, with the first one being love one another. In verse 52, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. That's the third command. And we see that there's two things. First is the persuasion to love one another. What, and by persuasion, what, what I'm referring to is, is the reason. What, what, is, what, what is the reason why I should love people in this church who didn't vote like I voted in the last election? What's the reason why I should vote for, I should love people in this church who weren't raised in the Midwest like I was. Or maybe they don't have the same educational background that I have or the same economical background that I have or, or the same color of skin that I have. Why? What, what reason? What, what, what's, what's the argument? What's the argument for loving people that are different than us within the local church who may have different opinions about everything. When, when uh, the remains were here Sunday and we were talking, I said, you know, Lisa and I's marriage ought to be a, an example that if we can make it, anybody can. And the reason being because if I say, you know what, it's dark outside, she said, no, it's not, it's light. The sky looks blue. No, it's, it's greenish blue. <laughs> you know, if I say up, she says down. If I say right, she says left. We are as opposite as... I mean, you can't get much more opposite. If we're on a lake, she's fishing and I'm reading a book. That's how, op- I mean, that's how opposite we are. I mean, she, she could sit out there and fish till the, I was going to say cows come home, but, you know, until, until the fish go to their beds. I mean, she could fish and fish and fish and fish. I've seen her fish all night long on a dock and just sit there and fish. For me... Why waste my time? Give me a book. We're just different. Not, one's not better than the other. One's not right. One's not wrong. We're just different. How do you love? How do you love people like that in the church? The persuasion to love one another results from the same status by having made the same choice to submit to the true claims of Jesus Christ. By responding positively to the gospel. Again, look at the, look at the first part of verse uh, 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. 
Having purified, there's the persuasion. Because I have done this. Not only because I have done this, but because the people of this church have done this. Whether you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. Whether you're black, white, yellow, purple with red spots. Whether you're make under... 25000 a year or more than $250,000 a year. Whether you have a, persu- a, a, a specific idea of, of the best form of government, whether you believe the revolution, uh, the American Revolution was justified or was a violation of the scriptures of where we're to be submissive to the governments that are put over us. Whether you homeschool, public school, or Christian school. All those things can be a a, a tinderbox in a church. But what caused the persuasion to love is the fact that Jesus is your Savior like He is mine. And we're family. And we're family. So the persuasion to love is because we've made the same choice. We've made the same choice. I don't, all I've got to think about is you're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. We love the same Savior. We serve the same Savior. We desire the same Savior to, to, to be pleased with how we live out our lives. And, and, and we need one another to do that. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter our differences. Because we are in Christ. In Christ. We also saw that the power to love one another. Again, that's the persuasion. That's the reason. That's the, we've made the same choice, but the power to love one another is due to being born again from a different quality of seed. Since we are reborn from God's seed, His Word, we have God's character, and God is love. Look at verse 23, chapter 1. Since you have been born again... Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. I was conceived, you were conceived spiritually through the Word of God. And because of that, I have a new nature. I have the characteristics of my Father and God is love. That's the power to love. God loves you. I'm to love you. And I can love you. It's not something I have to do kicking and screaming. I can love you because the Spirit of God lives within me. And the Spirit of God lives within you. As we said, loving one another is more than warm and fuzzy feelings or even common interests. Loving one another is treating each other well. By doing the right thing. So it begs the question, what does that look like? And every month, we can quantify it. Every month, we get the opportunity to quantify it. Of whether or not we are loving one another. And it's found in our church covenant. Our church covenant. We love one another. 
because of what our church covenant says we are to do towards one another. To forgive, to encourage, to strengthen, to pray, to admonish, to exhort, to confront, to forgive, to help. That's why we do it. The probability of our perseverance is greatly enhanced when we love and are loved by this community. I have a greater chance of persevering, of coming to the end of my life and have lived it well by what and how you love me. And you have a greater chance of persevering well that when you get to the end of your life, you can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, by how much this family of faith loves you and how much you love this family of faith. And as we demonstrate that love in spite of our differences, as we demonstrate our love to one another, it enables us, us, to finish well finish well the final command as we looked at the last two weeks is found in verse 2 like newborn infants long or crave for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation the command long for crave the pure spiritual milk We've, the command is we're to crave the spiritual nourishment that nurtures a vital Christian community we found that this spiritual milk is the Lord God Himself as we went to the passage that Peter quotes from in Psalm 34. And it's not only God Himself, but the life-sustaining grace found in Christ and ministered by the Spirit. So we are craving that spiritual nourishment. God Himself and His life-sustaining grace. And the text in verses 1-3 through three tells us what craving looks like. We crave, first of all, by getting rid of the, device, of the vices that destroy relationship and community. Verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and, and implied all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander. All those are qualities that, that destroy relationships, that destroy communities, that destroys the, the body. So we crave by getting rid of those vices and we crave by acknowledging our dependence upon God looking to Him and His grace to sustain us. Like newborn babes crave their mother's milk. In verse 2 again, uh, like newborn infants, he compares it. Like newborn infants, and we talked about how does a newborn infant crave for, his, for, for the sustenance that, 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 that his or her mother provides him. And, and that's how that, that we have to live. Listen, it's God that makes those changes in our lives. Naturally, it's not going to happen. We don't want a church where everybody is the same, do we? we? We don't want a church where everybody thinks the same. We don't want a church where, where everybody votes the same. We don't want a church where everybody looks the same. We don't want a church where, where everybody uh, has the same opinion. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about things that are obvious in the Scripture. But, but, but where, the, where, where, where Scripture gives us room to disagree. We want... Because... It's in that that God is glorified. When we get into eternity, it's not going to be filled of white folks with blonde hair and blue eyes. All nations, all tongues, 
all cultures. There is going to be such diversity in heaven that we're going to look and we're going to be in awe and be in wonder. My brothers and sisters that I don't even know of, my my Asian brother and sisters, my, my black brother and sisters, my brown brother and sisters, will all be there. So we, we live in dependence upon God for God to work in our hearts and to change us through all that He's provided us. We acknowledge our dependence upon Him. God, help us to put away these things. Help us to crave You and to crave the grace that is needed. And God, You'll work these things out as we, as we, as we submit to Your Word, as we, as we submit to one another, as we put aside and, and recognize that, that, that in Christ we have all these things in common. And as we look at these things, God, that, that, that it, God does it. God makes the change. God causes the growth. And we found that we do these things, that, that, uh, that, that we crave this so that, verse 2 talks about, so that we mature and grow together. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it, so that, it's a hint of clause, so, that, so by it, you may grow up into salvation. We mature. We grow together. We become more like Christ together than we ever can be on our own. My growth gets stunted without the community of faith. Church is not going there so I can check it off. Church is a place where I get to be encouraged and where I get to be an encourager. It's a place where my faith gets challenged and, 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 and my heart gets stirred. And, and it's a place where we, we can recognize that we all got struggles and we're all sharing and we all need each other's prayers. And we all need each other's helps and none of us have gotten there yet. And all of us trip along the way and sometimes fall and sometimes fall really hard. But we, we get around each other and we encourage each other and we lift each other up and, 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 we, and we admonish one another and we challenge each other and we bring the Word of God to bear upon each situation of life. And we, we speak the truth with love and, and, and we have a tender heart and we deal with the, 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 the beam in our own eye before we deal with the speck in our brother or sister's eye. And as we do that, we grow and we mature. I can be and reach the level of maturity that God wants to be reached in my life. And the same for you. Perseverance, as we said earlier, and borrowing from Eugene Peters when he's talking about obedience, perseverance is the experience of a long walk in the same direction. That's how Eugene Peterson describes obedience. Perseverance is the experience of a long walk in the same direction, the longer the consistency, the greater the reward. Think about the penny. Perseverance pays. It pays. So let's fix our hope on Christ's future grace. Let's fix our hope on Christ's future grace. Let's be holy in the mundane as well as in the momentous. Those are individual choices we make. That affects all of us. We're going to fix our hope on Christ's future. We're not going to allow the circumstances of life to dictate. 
And we're going we're to make choices that seek to reflect the character of God. We're going to love one another through the fulfillment of our covenant obligations. And we're going to long for God and the life-sustaining grace that's found in Christ Jesus by getting rid of those vices that destroy relationships and community and acknowledging our dependence upon Him. So the next time you're in a store or the next time you're out, the next time you get change, it's 99 cents and you hand them a dollar and they give you back a penny and sometimes you probably even tell them, just keep the penny. You know, I don't want the penny. Or you go to some place and they remember a lot of places have those jars that's got pennies in them. So if your penny's short, they'll, they'll pull it out. Penny's pretty insignificant. It's really, per- I mean, you, the news, I mean, it's not that long ago in the news they were talking about just doing away with the penny. Just rounding up everything to five cents. And you've all experienced places where we've gone to, especially during COVID, when they ask you to either pay with a credit card or exact change. Because there's no pennies to give you back. But the next time you hold a penny, look at it. Look at it. And remember not to get weary in well-doing. For in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart. Because perseverance pays. That penny that you hold in your hand, that penny that's between your your thumb and your forefinger, that penny, if you took it and doubled it every day for the next 30 days, would be worth over $5 million. After 25 days, it's just 167000 almost 168. But something happens in those last five days. A 3,240% increase because you persevered. You took, you went five more days. Five more days. Persevered. May God grant us the grace to persevere and the joy of experiencing the fruit of perseverance. There's nothing like it. There is nothing like it. When you persevere, even in this life, when you persevere, and you experience the fruit of it. The fruit of it. You stay together during tough times. And when you get on the other side of it, you can have a relationship with your kids and your grandkids and you don't have to deal with a lot of the different the stuff. Because you persevered. Persevered. You saved and you saved and you saved and you did without and you did without and you did without and you saved and you worked hard and you, 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 you chose to lay things aside and you persevered and it's, it's paid off. It's paid off. You're, you, you're, again, I know our security is in God, but, but, but financially you have some financial security because you, you persevered. You're, you're experiencing the fruit of it. Pick whatever area you want to in life. Any area you want to in life. And there's fruit that only happens through perseverance. And that fruit is sweeter than anything this world has to offer. May God 
grant us the grace to persevere and the joy of experiencing the fruit of that perseverance. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy of knowing you. Thank you for the promise, promises of your grace, the promises of perseverance. Lord, encourage us to do so. We look around at a lot of faces, Lord, and we see a lot of perseverance. Lord, we thank you for those examples of, of just keep on putting one foot in front of the other, or just standing firm, or getting up when knocked down. The just man falls seven times, but rises again. The examples of sacrifice, and the examples that are before us that are easy for us to see, Lord, all how you've, how you've structured this world, that it's easy for us to see, but perseverance pays. So we pray for the grace, the enablement that is available to us through Christ. And Lord, help us all, whatever stage of life we're in, Lord, help us all to persevere. What, what a joy that will be when the group that's here today, when we're in your presence in eternity and we're talking about the, the struggles of our life and by your grace we persevered and the joys that we experienced and are enjoying in eternity because of that and the praise that will go to you and the glory that will go to you and the gratefulness not only for you but the people that are here that where we helped one another in that perseverance. So Father, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts today. If there's someone here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, we pray you show them their need today because it starts there. And because of your son's perseverance, because he was faithful up to and through the cross, we have hope of eternal life. And through his perseverance, we get to enjoy the fruits of salvation. So Lord, we ask now you'd help us to think well and to submit to you and Lord allow your word to, by your spirit to change our lives today for we pray these things in Christ's name through the spirit his heads are bowed and eyes are closed not sure what your need is this morning but God certainly knows your heart we're just going to give a time a moment of silence where we can speak to the Lord and allow him to work in our lives then following that, we'll go to the Lord's table. Let's go to the Lord in a time of silence.